Welcome to the Vinyl Preacher Season 2. That's right, we've arbitrarily decided that this is the beginning of Season 2. I'm uh, Matt Cato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, uh, and campus pastor at the University of Southern California and various other college ministries in L.A. Welcome to the sequel. I'm Zach Paris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado in lovely Boulder. And we are here every week to talk to you about the scripture text designed for the upcoming Sunday. And uh, hopefully in your house of worship, if your house of worship knows how to worship correctly. That's right. <laughs> we judge. We judge. <laughs> Not really, but uh, the lectionary texts we will be talking about. And then we will um, make a playlist. We'll make a playlist. You got to have a playlist. Oh, we got, I got some good playlist songs. I'm so excited. Yeah? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. Ew. I got one but, good uh, one, and I have to figure out what the other one is as we go along. Hey, one's a place to start, man. Mm-hmm. One's a place to start. So we want to start just by uh, talking a little bit about what's, uh, what's up, what's going on in our respective Context. How about you? What's going on in Colorado the week of August 27th? August 27th, Matt, is one of the strangest days that most preachers will never encounter because it is our first worship service of the new academic year. And so I will be preparing, I am preparing to preach for a bunch of people who I do not know yet. Mm -hmm. Right? I've preached plenty of times to people I don't know, but normally it's going into a congregation and I can make some assumptions, right? Um, I can make some assumptions. I I, I sure hope some of our our current students show up for worship. But there's the possibility there could be a bunch of people who I've never met before, who I don't know anything about, uh, and in my head at least, will be judging me and our ministry and everything based on every small thing that happens. And so it's slightly anxiety-inducing, but I've decided to let it go. So I don't care anymore. But what a bizarre thing. I don't. I can't think of any other places where that kind of thing would happen, except maybe like a random wedding or funeral. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that is really extraordinary. Like It's like the community begins anew. Um, every year. That's wow. Yeah, that is not. Uh, we've got. We'll have like a low Sunday, probably. I don't know. Um, we usually have a peak for back to school, which for us is a few weeks earlier because our um, our kids go back to school in like the middle of August, which is nuts. Um, the college students at USC will be back, but we might have like one or two or three of them, maybe if we're really lucky, uh, in worship mixed in with the rest of the group. So I have a little, a little tiny taste of what you're doing in the midst of, uh, my regular community. Yeah, that is really unusual. Um, we should have people, if you have an experience like Zach's, we should have you like, uh, comments, comments on the, on the, uh, on the Facebook post. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least with a wedding, a funeral, the people who are coming, who are random, who you don't know, you at least know what their connection is, right? They're somehow connected to this person or persons. Right. Um, here, yeah. I have no idea why you came. Uh, and, and frankly, I'm worried about why you decided to come. But. <laughs> yeah. So do you have an approach? You've done it now a couple of times, though. More than uh, a couple of times. I don't think you can win. Right. Like if like, I just don't think it's possible. Like, I don't know. I, I, I vacillate between thinking I should say crazy things or like just avoid saying crazy things. I mean, you have no idea. Maybe my best shot is to like preach uh, in a way that is most like in line with the character of our community. 
Mm. If that makes sense, you know, which might appear vanilla to like our regulars. But in reality, it's probably not very vanilla compared to most people's uh, experiences in the church before him. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's probably the other wrinkle, right, is that people have these... They might have another community that they're a part of when they're not at school, and then mm-hmm. this is their this is their other community. What I bank on is their home pastors, home preachers, not being very good. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks. So that by comparison, so I need you all on the week of the twentieth to really just <laughs> bomb, man. Go long, go boring. Read extended quotes from things that don't make any sense. Talk about the Greek and nuance, please. I'll do my best. I'll okay. do my best. Okay, thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm sending at least. So I'm sending at least one student on to. Uh, I mean, this will be like her experience. This twentieth will be her last Sunday, and then she'll go to Cal Lutheran, where there is a Cal Lutheran Lou. community on mm-hmm. campus. Very different from your uh, college context. I know. <laughs> slightly, but, slightly different. Our campus but, is not dry. That's a difference. <laughs> that was dry too, in quotes. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I also have some college students, some of my high schoolers who are staying around and commuting to a local mm. school. And so I'm trying to figure out what uh, college ministry looks like there. Uh, so maybe that'll be an ongoing thought process. I am totally going to use the idea that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, though. Uh, we'll do like a question, I think, when we do our tabling. Nice. It's good. And maybe... And maybe since it's like Reformation year, maybe we'll do something like what in the church needs to change and invite people to do that. In the midst of all these, um, the context at USC will be mostly evangelical, conservative evangelicals uh, with some Catholic, Roman Catholics. Uh, So that might be interesting. Yeah. I can't wait. We'll put the, you need to take a picture of the artwork at the end and we'll post it on the Facebook page. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if uh, anyone responds. It'll it'll either be a really cool piece of artwork or um, an example of what a theological belly flop looks like. It'll be great. <laughs> but I'm totally stealing all of your ideas. Mm-hmm. Matt, you can fake it for the picture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just use your left hand and write things. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Um, so my little alarm bell went off. I feel like uh, I feel like it might be time. It is Mountain Standard Time. Mountain Standard Time, Pacific Standard Time out here. Oh, Mountain Standard Time is the best time, I think. Right, just the name. It's so much better than Central Standard Time. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, it looks like it's time for the text. It's it's a time uh, that's more Kairos and Kronos, uh, a time that extends across time and space that knows not the limits of our time zones, uh, but is the work of God itself. Time for the text. <laughs> time for the text. And the texts uh, that we have before us this fall are really exciting. So we're going to use the uh, semi-continuous Old Testament readings, which uh, are come to us from the book of Exodus for a while, and then they'll move into Deuteronomy and Joshua when we get into November. But but the Exodus narrative uh, is what we'll be reading from. And ah, there's such good stories. And then for our New Testament, we'll skip, I think we'll skip the epistle. Are we going to skip the epistle? Thanks be to God. Probably. I know. Paul's Someday, a jerk. <laughs> some, some season, we'll work our way through the epistle. We'll eat our Someday. vegetables one time. It, if the podcast lasts that long. But for now, 
uh, we're gonna we're gonna stick to the gospel for our second text. And uh, Matthew, I think Matthew is even like semi-continuous, right? We kind of work our way through mm-hmm. uh, mid-Matthew here. Uh, I think we're in chapter 16. And so we'll get some uh, good stuff from Matthew that I think it's progressively more scary as we go on. I think Hopefully. if I remember from past lectionary year A's. Hopefully. Hard to say these days how, how the world can get scarier, but Matthew's going to do his <laughs> best. He's going to do his best. <laughs> true, true. So, um, so, yeah, let's start with that first reading. The first reading comes to us from Exodus 1, verse 8, through chapter 2, verse 10. It's basically the beginning of Exodus. Uh, Listen to how this thing starts. So it says, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. That's the first sentence. Mm. What? So much going on already. So Joseph, uh, as you'll recall from our journey through Genesis, uh, was kind of the last big uh, character in that book of Genesis, and he moved the people to Egypt. Joseph was a hero, uh, had a really clear purpose, saved his people and the Egyptian people. Yay. Uh, They probably erected a statue to him. And now, yay. And then we get uh, here, and this new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph, who somehow was disconnected. This new king was disconnected from all this narrative that had gone before. Matt, sometimes we get euphemisms in the Bible. Uh, is this a euphemism? <laughs> what do you think it's a euphemism for? No, uh, did not know Joseph uh, in a air quotey kind of way, a, or in just a, in a biblical sense? A, he did yes. not. He did not know Joseph. I don't know the in a biblical the sense here. But there was lots of biblical sense going on. Lots of biblical uh, because sense. Because the Israelite people are more and more and more numerous. That uh, creation of life that God had been involved in throughout Genesis, the promise of life to the people, has been going on. God's been fulfilling the promise here in Egypt. These people are becoming more and more numerous. They're growing their families. They're growing their communities. Uh, but that is that is a threat uh, to this new king and to the Egyptians that the new king speaks to. Really interesting. One thing to note that will come into play later, the new king is not named. Mm. This new pharaoh is not named. Maybe pharaoh, uh, but, uh, but it's just a new king, an unnamed new king arose over Egypt. Joseph is named, but not the new king. Um, and the new king, this is interesting, he said to his people, look, the Israelite people, are more numerous and more powerful than we. In his first line, the king is already dividing up the people in his country. Mm. So clearly, like, these people are, there's Israelite people, there's Egyptian people, there probably are some other ethnic groups too, but the king decides only to speak to this one group, his people, whatever that means. Whatever the Egyptian ethnic group looks like in his understanding, Mm. that's who he chooses to listen to. And he says they, he identifies the Egyptian, the Israelite people as they. There's this us and them already going on. Um, Pink Floyd. Right? Mm -hmm. So, new king. Also, there's an echo there, Matt, an echo back to to old Joseph a couple weeks ago. Come, uh, here comes that dreamer. Come, let us kill him. Yeah. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Yeah. And echo back to Jesus walking on the water. He says to Peter, come. You've got echoes all Mm. over the place here. It's uh, it's amazing. Um, So he decides to uh, to oppress these people, to give them more and more work. 
and yet it doesn't work. The people are the people multiply more and more. They continue to succeed. So the king decides to take it uh, a step farther. He decides to take it a step farther. Um, the dog whistle doesn't work, and so he decides to become more. He decides to take it out in policy even more. And so he says to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named. Let's see if I get this right. Shifra and. These are the two midwives. Hey, what? The text takes a moment to name these two midwives. Midwives. One of whom was named Shifra and one of whom was named Pua. The king, still not named, but the lowly midwives are given names. It's important. What? It's really important. And the king says to these midwives, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. They let the boys live. So, so you know, not much, uh, not much going on in the story. Yes. Uh, fun fact, the original King James Version of the Bible, which is a little yeah. over 400 years old, uh, did not have any sort of like marginal notes, right? Like a part of, of, of Bible production uh, over the centuries has been like kind of commentary-ish things like you might see in like a study Bible, like the... Harper Collins or the the red one. What's the red one? Um, you know, notes on the text, right? Uh, the King James version did not allow notes on the text because of this story and and some similar stories because of the anti uh, monarchical comments that the story could be a story empowering people over and against a monarch. And so, no notes were allowed because previous editions, the Geneva Bible in 1560, uh, praised the midwives for disobeying a wicked king. Wow! Uh, couldn't have that. Wow. Wow, that's that is an incredible note. They do disobey a wicked king. It's man, it's really extraordinary. So uh, one of the things I love here. So then the king summons the midwives and he says, "Why do you why do you let the boys live?" And they say to Pharaoh, "Because the Hebrew women they're not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. They're so fast. They're so good at giving birth that they just they do it before we can even get there. It's um, <laughs> it's a duplicitous answer. Uh, it's gotta be. I mean." You got to think if you're performing this story, right? This has got to be a laugh line, right? Yeah. This has got to be this just—it's amazing. Um, I also love the callbacks here. I think um, I think these midwives in the power that they show. Uh, there's a little callback to Rebecca, who's mm-hmm. this really strong woman woman uh, described uh, in that woman at the well story. Uh, I described her as Diana Prince as one woman in my sermon, given how many camels she could water. And these two women are presented as these two strong women. And then the midwives in there, they they have a little trickster in them here, right? I think they've got a little Jacob in mm-hmm. in their blood. They've got a little mm-hmm. Jacob in their in their DNA as as Kendrick might say. Um, so I think there's some callbacks to the Genesis, to the Genesis families, right? Um, they're stepping into, uh, into that tradition, into that tradition. Um, so the midwives do this thing. God, des- or Pharaoh decides to get even more extreme. And now instead of just going to the midwives, like, right? So before Pharaoh's just talking to the midwives, but now he speaks because that didn't work. I mean, he could have, that may not have been public, right? That may not have mm-hmm. been in the Egyptian times, Maybe, maybe not. Um, But here he commands all of his people. Now it's public. And he says, anybody is allowed to engage in mob violence. Take any boy that's born of the Hebrews, throw him in the Nile. You shall let every girl live. I mean, here is, I mean, this is like the definition of how like um, dictatorships come to pass, right? That it sort of starts at this kind of low key level and it gradually gets more and more explicit that water is boiling uh, and it's, it's boiling around you before you even know that it's, that it's happening. 
it's this gradual increase, right? Pharaoh had had enough, and so he went into the lobby of the Sphinx uh, with his gold-plated elevator doors <laughs> and said, every boy born to the Hebrews, whoever you are, people, throw them into the river. Right? Oh my gosh! I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come back to that because that's uh, like but also creatures. sacramental yes. Mistagaji here, Matt. Yeah. Uh, what a sh- what a hollow death threat for the people of God. We're gonna throw them into the river, uh, <laughs> and the response of the tradition right becomes. No, no. Yeah, that's what we do. We throw them into the river. The river's a place of life, not a place of death. And we're foreshadowing, perhaps, the way to life at the end of this particular story. Uh, walks through the river. Yeah. Or the sea, yeah. whatever have you, you know? Yeah, man. That's a really interesting. That's almost like a... I don't know this story well enough, so I'm going to throw my foot in my mouth, but it's almost like that Br'er Rabbit story, right, where he's mm-hmm. like, throw me into the brambles, you know? Yeah. Um, you could work with that. That story has all kinds of historical connotations wrapped around it that you would have to unpack. But uh, but it's, it's kind of what you're saying, right? Throw us mm-hmm. into the river. You don't know what you're getting into yeah. when you do that. So, uh, and which, very literally, Moses is yeah. thrown into the river. Yeah. Yeah. He ends up in the river. And again, <laughs> it's a place of life. Yeah. Well, and he ends up in the river. Uh, because of, once again, these women who act. So Moses' mother acts, and also his sister stands at a distance. So these two women again. And then um, Ivanka comes down to bathe at the river. Oh, I'm sorry, wait. Um, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe at the river. This possibly sympathetic, maybe. We want her to be sympathetic. Daughter of the Pharaoh um, comes down to the river, and she finds Moses. She draws him from the river, ends up paying Moses' mother and sister to take care of him, which, again, has got to be just this ironic laugh line um, that people have got to be grinning about. And she names him, she names this child that she pulls out of the river, she names him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. I drew him out of the water. I don't know how many folks in our uh, I know those of us who read these texts all the time um, have probably heard that before. She named him Moses because I drew him out of the water. Um, but I don't know how many people in our congregations know that that's what the name Moses means. That's where it comes from. Mm. It's an interesting thing to know. So I want to say a couple of things um, about this text really quick. Um, so we made some allusions uh, to our current uh, to our current political who did? situation. I know, right? Uh, and then I don't know. Just read like, the Bible. It, just read, just reading the Bible, right? Just reading the Bible, and uh, so I guess I want to say a couple of things, and you can you can push back at me here if you want to, but I think um, I think there is there are a couple of things uh, that I want to state. Uh, number one, uh, the scripture here is political. The scripture here is political. It's referring to this political situation, a king arising over Egypt. That is that is political in every sense of the word. Um, the politics eventually moved down to uh, to the local personal level. These midwives have a role to play. So there's this connection going on between the macro level political situation and uh, our daily lives. So number one, this scripture is political. The scriptures themselves are political. Number two, God takes a side. We've had all of this uh, talk on social media lately about um, 
when the president says there's problems on both sides uh, and a lot of folks have responded, no, God takes a side and God does take a side here. In fact, there's a couple of side taking going on. Midwives take a side first. They actually decide to fear God instead of fearing the king. They take a side. Then God takes a side with them and God deals well with the midwives. God is taking a side here. Um, But... So I think I think the scriptures are political and God takes a side, um, but it's not clear. I think one thing that's important here that helps us get out of the um, kind of shallow political uh, kind of a shallow political talk, let's say, is that it's not like God chooses a side between these two different kings. It's not about these two different political parties that God chooses a side. God looks at the situation and there are folks in political power and there are folks that are vulnerable and God takes the side of the vulnerable. And I think that that is something that we might want to think through from the perspective of our faith, no matter which president is in power, um, who's vulnerable in this situation and who's exercising power over another person in this situation. And that goes beyond political party, right? Um, So I think that's important in this text. Um, And then I think the third thing I'd want to say uh, that I mentioned before already is that we have a role to play in this work. When God takes a side, um, God has a role for us to play. And I think that's really key here where the midwives have this role to play, where Moses' mother has this role to play, where Moses' sister has this role to play, where even Pharaoh's daughter uh, has this role to play, that we have a role to play in God's um, saving, liberating, and yes, sometimes political work, not necessarily political party work, but political work. Uh, impacting uh, the wider community work. Yeah, I think God, Yahweh here takes a side, but Yahweh's not anti-Egyptian in the story, right? It's, it's really clear about that almost, right? That, that there came a new Pharaoh, perhaps maybe probably of the same like line, but the, that God worked through the, the Pharaoh before, right? Through that relationship with Joseph. But it is the, the oppression of the Pharaoh that, that, that moves God to the, to the side, that, that causes God to move, to pick a side. Yeah, 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 I think that's helpful. And it, it might even be helpful to explore the way that God pulls Moses through into his call, is that he ends up weaving Moses into an Egyptian family. Right? Yeah. That these, that, um, right? So this king, the king begins by trying to divide up the people. And God starts to weave together these two families right under Pharaoh's nose. And that's kind of an interesting thing that happens in the text, too. A multicultural vision of the people of God starting to emerge, perhaps? Yeah, I think possibly so. Perhaps to be matched with a multicultural gospel? What? What? Is it time to move to the gospel? It might be. <laughs> what do you got? What's going on in Matthew? Oh, we. you said we are mid-Matthew and... I don't even know if you knew how well you nailed it. We get the last. We are exactly in the middle of Matthew, perhaps not mathematically, because uh, I don't think they're pretty sure they're not 32 chapters in Matthew. But we're at the middle of the story. From here, Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. This is the last bit of the first half of the teaching, the healings, the miracles, really a description about who Jesus is. And that's a really helpful way to get into the text this week, because very literally, it's a conversation about who Jesus is. Uh, Real short, we'll read it quickly. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Ugh, blood and soil have not revealed this to you, but my oh. Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, on this rock, uh, you are rocky, and I will build my church. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then, messianic secret, he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. What? Oh, oh my gosh, so much. Unpack this for me. What? what? Oh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is a story. I mean, it's a... a a topic that I am I'm particularly interested in is identity and identity formation and how that kind of happens and in how we are who we are. I'm really into this week uh, what the social science commentary sort of folks have to say about this uh, story and identity in the ancient Eries. So if in the ancient Eries they have this understanding of collectivist identity, where your identity itself is determined by uh, the community outside of you, right? And we get, we get hints of that, uh, threads of that are revealed here uh, because uh, Jesus answered him, right? Simon, son of Jonah. Uh, people said Simon, son of Jonah, and they said Jesus of Nazareth because that identified the person, um, not just like their kind of like reputation, like uh, uh, the other breeds who are up north in the Sierra Pacific Synod, um, right? <laughs> but because that's all they needed to know. Uh, oh, Simon is the son of Jonah. Um, Jesus is from Nazareth. So that is all, those are all the things I need to know about the person. Um, and so I think in our current context, right, this uh, multicultural gospel is making these really bold claims about our identity. One of the powerful ways I think they speak to us is, is that our uh, kind of individualistic Western understanding of identity that we get to determine that is not necessarily true or inherently good. And in fact, right, many of the, of the things that we use to identify ourselves, the places we are from, the blood we have, right? If, I mean, if you want to get deep into the, the grossness of it all, the blood and soil are not the things that define you. Uh, and Jesus makes it plain, right? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you before, but my Father in heaven. Boom. Our identity comes from, uh, I'd probably lean up against, uh, lean up against the, the, the exodus here, right? Comes from the waters, come from the rivers, which are not that far away from when Peter was walking on them. And I don't, so I don't know how much the text will let us do this, but he says, Simon, son of Jonah. And I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you might be reading, I mean, it might stretch the text. Uh, you can decide as a preacher whether you want to stretch it in that way or not. But I just think, I just, man, you gotta, you gotta go with the reference, right? I mean, here's a reference to Jonah, right. one who was drawn from the waters. I mean, if you want to mm -hmm. take that and run with it, it may have been a complete coincidence that Simon's dad was named Jonah, but there are a few coincidences in the scriptures, so you can okay. run with it. Interesting to note, too, because, again, I think the whole point of this, this pericope is to make really clear who Jesus is uh, or who Jesus is not going into as we head to Jerusalem. And the real, uh, again, revelation of who Jesus is, the Messianic secret will be revealed there, uh, that, that all of the titles that people give to Jesus or that the Son of Man are not... Uh, titles that are tied to his uh, family of origin or place of origin. Um, Jesus uh, is thought to be John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets, but not uh, you're not said to be son of Mary, son of Joseph of Nazareth. You are Messiah, son of the living God. They're blowing up their ways of understanding identity, whether it's um, 
in that sort of nationalistic ethnic understanding uh, or even individually because Jesus is, is subverting that even right to say that I'm claimed because I think there is a community I think there are two steps to this. Uh, I probably should have thought this out before the pod, but thinking it through live, you guys. We're thinking, thinking it through, through live. That's how we do it. Without Bible a picture. net, playing without a net here. <laughs> um, on one hand, yes, Jesus is subverting a system and a place, uh, a culture where your identity is based on who you, your your blood and where you were born. That still speaks to our world. Plenty of that. But Jesus is also subverting what we until the past couple weeks have thought to be the primary way of forming identity in the West, uh, where you get to decide it by yourself because Jesus doesn't say, let me tell you who I am. He's dependent on the community, uh, this community that's bound not by, not by blood, not by family group or place of origin, but through its relationship to this living God. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love that Jesus um, pushes pushes them to go deeper, right? Where, who do people say? Who do you say? He makes it, I don't know, like it's, I don't know what to say about it, but um, but there's definitely this like push for, I don't want to make it like a decision theology, right? But I do think that there's, there's a kind of like, um, you can't just kind of come through and be like a passive spectator in this thing. Um, maybe there's a passivity to it if God's the actor, but there is definitely some kind of like, Jesus is like, no, no, I'm talking about you, <laughs> like in this moment. In this moment, who are you? And to think about that identity in this time and in this place, I mean. Well, I mean, I wonder, you could skirt some of the decision stuff with, I mean, I think the questions really are are almost like a forensic sort of question for Jesus. Has this worked? All of the teaching, all of the miracles, is it, um, have I lived into who I am? And he asks these two different groups of people, and it uh, comes back positive. Uh, he is who who he is understood. Does Jesus know who he is in Matthew? I don't know. I think so, right? I think um, so. So he gets that success thing, but then you want to turn it to the dependence on the community. Peter's given the keys. So if you're looking for, it's this utterly anti-individualistic text, right? That that if you're looking for the, your identity and for the keys to the to joining this kingdom, this community, this new family that says who you are, in which you will find your identity, uh, you got to look in the community, not yeah. to find this one wise teacher. Yeah. So speaking of the community, um, do you have any thoughts? Uh, about this, like this piece at the end is is often called the office of the keys. What uh, I don't know. You have any thoughts about it? I don't have any thoughts. So I'm okay if we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I have my standard like spiel about it. Uh, that's not particularly insightful, but that I don't think this is necessarily right. Like about the power of of, of humans to determine people's like eternal fates and stuff. <laughs> But it's much more about the reality of the things we do have the power to to, to bind and loose things on each other. That if he, if if what's happening here is Jesus is, on one hand, destroying this old vision of community, and then saying it's also not about the individual, but pulling us into this new vision of community. Uh, it's a vision where like you have power. The life of the community matters, and and what you do matters within that community, right? Just like Shifran Pua, like what you do within your community uh, matters. What you do matters. Cool. Some good texts. Late August. They're nice. You, you got some stuff to work with for your oh. uh, first Sunday back in the community. Oh, how am I going to avoid <laughs> talking about controversial topics? Good luck. Good luck. I, I think know. this is all a metaphor about how we feel about our inner spiritual lives. That's all I'm going to talk about is our inner spiritual lives. Clearly. Well, uh, dear preacher, if you are... Uh, 
wrestling with this, one thing that might help you uh, is some music. Maybe a playlist. Maybe a playlist would be helpful to you. <laughs> Indeed. You got, you got some songs? I got a song. What you got? <laughs> I've got a song that Pete Seeger likes to sing about union organizing called Which Side Are You On? Mm. Which Side Are You On? Uh, if this song makes you uncomfortable, it should make you a little uncomfortable. But it is, uh, it's got a power to it. No matter which version that you use, you can check out Pete Seeger's. Um, old, old, old version, which is really, really cool. I would also recommend Natalie Merchant did a cover of this song on an album called Seeds, the Songs of Pete Seeger, and it's really, really cool. So, uh, Natalie Merchant, which side are you on? Fantastic. Matt, uh, I'm going to stick in that, that similar vein. I found my song. I found it early on. Uh, which side are you on? Uh, you know, another good union song, uh, working union song, comes from the Oak Road Medicine Show, right? Uh, there once was a union maid who never... Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Union Made. Union Made. It's a good one. But I'm going to go with Pink Floyd, Us and Them. Uh, drawing the lines. Oh, it's like a duck. Can put on the, play it backwards, see what happens. Yeah. Us and Them. Pink Floyd, Us and Them. Awesome. And then uh, I feel like the kind of voice that I uh, need to hear in this time and in this place is the voice of Mavis Staples, who I've had the uh, pleasure of seeing live a couple of times. Times once in Chicago at Millennium Park, where her voice uh, just—I just felt it made like it made the ground move like an earthquake. It was really just incredible. Chris and I had never seen her before uh, alive, and uh, really hadn't even watched her music. I just uh, heard about her, and so we went to see her. And oh my goodness, we were just—we were just blown away by Mavis. And then I, had, I was able to see her at Coachella a couple of years ago in a small tent. Uh, and we were all, it was the perfect way to kick off the weekend. Uh, she has been performing for decades and yet blew out of the water so many of the younger uh, so-called energetic bands. So I need a song by Mavis. And I'm going to throw out there uh, Mavis's cover of a, I mean, there's so many good ones. I, I check out uh, the whole album, We'll Never Turn Back. Uh, it's really incredible. But one from another album, it's uh, her cover of the hymn, In Christ There Is No East or West, uh, which is the best version of that hymn. <laughs> It's uh, it's really good. So pick out some Mabel, Mavis, pick out any song that you want, but that's uh, one that I'll throw on the playlist to get us through these times. Just a quick update, Matt. All of my recording yes. equipment is covered in marinara sauce from the spaghetti. Uh, it's being consumed loudly next to me. I got one more, Matt. I have okay. one more, and I've I've been oh been sitting on it because I uh, I did my research. I prepared this week, and of course going off the gospel. It's about identity, about figuring out exactly who are you? Because some of us really want to know. So tell me, who are you? Uh, Jesus whips around a little bit, like, who am I? Uh, I really want to know who am I, but we're going with the who. Who are you? <laughs> off of the album, also called Who Are You, 1978. Who are you? Fantastic song. Fantastic. All right. You got some texts. You got a playlist. Uh, what's the good news? Oh, what's the good news, man? Man, I, I got to go Old Testament. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for the Old Testament. Um, and and I, I think that, man, how do I work out exactly? I don't know how I'm going to work out exactly, but it's, it's, it's a way. My good news is going to be subverting, uh, throwing all the boys into the river. God is with us in the river. God is waiting for us in the river. Matt, 
Matt, I got it. I got it. God is waiting for us in the river. W-A-D-I-N-G. Because here's what we're going to do. Because uh, a little liturgical thing. It'll be our first Sunday. Uh, I got my baptismal font, my my tub baptismal font. And we're going to do the old walking through the waters uh, into yes. the beginning of the academic year. Literally, all of our students are going to force them to walk through the waters. And so the good news is going to be God is waiting uh, for us, with us, in the waters. Yes, love it. Those muddy love waters it. where our identities all get mixed up and we don't, nobody knows where you're from or, or who you are. And it's in those waters. Love it. It's in the love waters. it. Amen. That'll preach. That'll preach. Mm. Um, I, I like to close with a question too. And I think that the question that I am going to run with, I'm going to move to the gospel. I'm going to be the opposite of you. I'm going to move to Matthew and do that. Who say that I am uh, out of these waters? Uh, what is your identity? I think this week Jesus presses us to say, in this moment of urgency, uh, who do you say that I am? Uh, what? Uh, and it's and I and I think you got to do a little digging to not make that decision theology, but to root that in our identity in baptism. But I do think Jesus presses us to say, who do you say that I am? What's your role to play as you are drawn out of the waters? And the answer to that question, right? I mean, how you reject the decisionist theology stuff. The answer to the question, who are you, in many ways has to be worked out in the same ways that the, that the question is answered for Jesus. Jesus isn't testing them, right? He's asking very literally, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that you are because of you living out this identity that God has given to you? Yeah, and if you want to see people living out identities, look at Shifra, look at Pua, look at Moses' mother, look at Peter, and then take the question uh, to yourself. Who do you say that I am? Boom. Good stuff. It's been, uh, it's been real, man. Real, real. Real to real. That's what you get here on the Real to Real Preacher, which is where I first encountered Pink Floyd. My dad had a reel to reel of Dark Side of the Moon and uh, gave me his uh, reel to reel player, and that's where I heard us and them for the first time. What? What? Until I accidentally set it on fire, and I was scared and hit it. So. <laughs> True stories on the Lionel Preacher. Mm-hmm. Tune in next week. It's been vinyl. <laughs> <laughs>